Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Well, we've got an intimate crew for the 9 a.m., which is beautiful, beautiful. Uh, I'm really excited about today. Um, And uh, this is uh, a service we've been looking forward to for a while now. So I'm glad that you're here. Welcome. Uh, We have a focus today on wrapping up everything that we've been talking about for the last 14, 15 weeks, this entire fall semester. And so today will serve as a bit of a moving us forward in the Advent season, along with also uh, summarizing and and hopefully culminating the journey that we've been on throughout this entire fall. So I want to begin by just charting a bit of a course for us today. This will be a little bit of a different gathering with some extra moving pieces. Some pieces will be longer than they typically are or shorter than they typically are. So it will take us a little longer to get to our three good minutes break than it usually does, but fret not, we will have you out of here at the usual time. So let's begin by locating ourselves in the story, uh, the capital S story. And as you know, a few weeks ago it was All Saints Day, which is our reminder once a year that we are a communion, a common union of saints held together in Christ, and we are all the saints, Um, not just the superheroes of of the faith, but all of us. And then that led us to Christ the King Sunday, which is the final week of the year, the liturgical year, and we celebrated that Christ is our King. And then we begin Advent, and last week was the first week of Advent. We celebrated hope, and our candle of hope is still burning. And today we will celebrate peace, and we will focus on the theme of peace. Um, Advent, of course, means arrival. We remember the first coming, the first arrival of Christ. We anticipate and remind ourselves that there will be a second coming of Christ. And in the meantime, we live in the tension between those two things. And so all semester, we've sat with these invitations from Jesus to build a big enough table. We have our beautiful table here that uh, many of you have written on the bottom of your prayers and hopes for this community. And, uh, and then we've talked about how we have a liturgy that will shape our lives that, and ask the question, what's the work of this people? What's the work of the parish? Um, so underneath your chairs, you have a handout. Some of you, the handout will look more pristine than others because Office Depot forgot to cut our handout. So Judah Culp and I frantically cut them with scissors about five minutes ago, uh, which is great. Um, and so thank you, Judah. Uh, but the handout, the black and white handout will guide you through uh, our liturgy And we'll talk through the different movements that we are going through. And then uh, you also have your Advent card under there for the week as well. But a few weeks back, we began dissecting our liturgy piece by piece. We went through the first three movements, the call to worship and the call to community and the call to a living word. And now today, we will culminate that journey by talking about the call to the table, the call to this table where we meet Jesus in Uh, the sacrament of the Eucharist. And so we will expand the section around communion a little bit more today than we typically do. We're going to lean into some of our rich history of the Anglican tradition, and I will sort of pop up at various points in the service to provide a bit of a guided commentary through our liturgy, and we'll ask why it matters and what it means 
And why do we do this every week? Why do we say that we are a, a church that gathers around this table rather than anything else that we do? And my hope is that together today we'll be swept up in both miracle and mystery, which is, I think, uh, a way to think about this communion table. There's a miracle that happens here, and it is a mysterious one. And so we're going to begin with a call to worship. So I'll invite you to stand. And as you stand, we'll think about this second week of Advent uh, and the theme of peace. And so we'll call ourselves to worship here. Let me see if I can get this working. There we go. All right, we'll light the candle of peace. Um, I will do the call and you do the response. Ready? Though we're strangers, still I love you. I love you more than the mask you wear or the fig leaves you hide behind. All the same. And though I love you, still we're strangers. We're blinded in these lonely hearts. And though that blindness separates us, Christ's light comes shining in this dark. Hang on. <laughs> I say it again. his blood and in his body, in the bread and in this wine, peace to you, the peace of Christ to you. And together now we say, come Lord Jesus, as we light the candle of peace.
my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am the way. So we respond. We follow after our rabbi near enough that the dust his feet kicks up lands on us. Jesus calls us to a grand kingdom, a great thanksgiving, a whole armor, a sweeping river of living waters. Jesus invites us, be with me, and we respond cultivating a prayer-filled life. Jesus says, walk with me, and we respond to become like Christ, cultivating a deeply formed life. We are shaped by all of life, either deeper into Christ's way or my way. So we take stock of what influences us. Audit the algorithms that are subtly shaping what we think and value and love. We examine where we've walked, where we've stood, where we've sat with lesser things. We pick up instead the two great books of God, the book of Scripture, the book of nature, and we find ourselves slowly but surely deeply formed by Jesus. Jesus calls to us, work with me, and we say yes, responding to do what Jesus does through a kingdom-directed life. We discern our vocations and our daily direction, taking on the postures of contemplative action and active contemplation. We yield to the surprisingly unforced rhythms of grace. Work withdrawal, doing and being, fields and feast. And Jesus invites us, watch how I do it. And we respond via a spirit-dependent life and a sacramental liturgy. And having been invited, chosen, blessed, broken, and given, we realize that all is grace and all is prayer. The liturgy, the work of this people, always ends with us being brought to a big enough table and a great feast where the living word and the body and the blood of Christ calls us and reconciles us and forgives us and heals us and unifies us and sends us. And we are filled to respond with Eucharisteo, a great Thanksgiving. You may be seated. So every week, our gathering culminates and crescendos in this Eucharistic feast, the communion, the Lord's Supper, and our whole church service is a ramp up to this. Uh, we gather around this eternal cosmic marriage feast between beloved and bride, a wedding party where the wine never runs out, and it keeps getting better and better and better, where bread and fish are eaten and baskets are always left over. And so in our liturgy, if you look on the black and white handout, and you'll notice this just from being around the parish, we always have our sermon, and then the sermon leads into a time of practice. And the practice is the portion of our gathering where we try to put some tangible, concrete expression to the ideas talked about in the sermon. Make sure that we're actually embodying this, not just thinking about it. 
Because if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And that's, of course, so basic and yet often confounding in my daily life. You know, I say, I hear Jesus say, peace I give you. And then I go, where is, where is that peace, right? But then I compare my lifestyle to the lifestyle of Jesus and I realize I'm not following in the way of the rabbi. I've adopted uh, my own lifestyle while hoping for his life. And so if we want to become like Jesus, we simply start by doing things after the pattern that Jesus did them. And often we don't. <laughs> and that's why after the practice, we confess. And we come to this place of confession, and confession is the opportunity to put on Jesus by putting off the things that are not like Jesus, by unlearning the deeply grooved ways that we are used to and so confession brings us in our first step toward this communion table. A reading from the book of James, chapter 5. Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the master. Believing prayer will heal you and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The word of the Lord. And so we confess all of the things we have done, the things we have left undone. But we also confess more than that. We also are confessing what we believe about this God and about who this God is. Yes, we have wandered astray. We have disordered our affections. We have missed the mark. But we also confess that this is a God who is rich in mercy and eager to forgive. 
And our sin does not have the final word about our lives or about who we are, and something is healed as we confess. And so we choose to bring it into the light, to confess before God who sees it all anyway, but also to confess to each other, uh, to confess in the midst of safe relationships where we can look bad in the presence of love. Um, I need that. Had an encounter this week where I looked really, really bad. And it took me about two days to remember I was in the presence of love. It's okay. It's okay. Sometimes we all... Uh, put our foot in our mouth, or we make mistakes along the way. But it is in the midst of community that confession brings healing. And so to that end, I'm going to invite you all to join me uh, by standing as you're able. And what we'll do is practice our confession today, uh, a little bit earlier than we typically do. And the confession is a little different than it typically is. Uh, this is an expanded version of the Book of Common Prayer Confession, and it has one tweak at the beginning of it, and the tweak is that we're not only confessing to God, we are also confessing to our brothers and sisters uh, in the communion of saints so that we might be healed. So would you join me? Let's confess our sins together against God and neighbor. There's a uniquely Anglican tradition called the comfortable words, and it comes after the confession and assurance where we hear the words of Jesus that bring comfort. And so today for our comfortable words, we'll read our Advent passage uh, from Luke chapter 1. It says this, By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. So hear the comfortable words of the Lord, our shepherd. Peace I give you. Peace I give you. 
my peace I give you. Amen. So after the confession and the assurance, we typically pass the peace. Uh, We have received the peace from Christ, and then we pass it to one another. And most weeks, the passing of the peace looks like a bit of a shortened greeting time, like we walk around and we shake hands and we give hugs and we say the peace of Christ to you. And you may be thinking, like, why are we doing this? We already did three good minutes. Like, what is up with the second time of greeting in the middle of the service? Uh, But the peace is different. Uh, Because in passing the peace, we are not just greeting one another. Instead, we are taking what we have just received, which is reconciliation between us and God, and then we are passing that peace, that reconciliation on to others in the room. We are not ready to come to this table until we are at peace with one another, until we are reconciled to one another. And I think this is building on a Jewish custom. Uh, In uh, Jewish tradition, there is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, but you cannot come to the day of atonement until you have atoned with your brothers and sisters the day before, right? And so Jesus picks up that theme and he says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave the altar. Leave your gift and go and make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. And so passing the peace in the liturgical tradition always comes before communion because it is our chance, though brief and often friendly, to also do deep and difficult spiritual work where we see the person on the other side of the room who has hurt us or who we wish had done something different or has disappointed us or has misplaced our expectations. And the counter-cultural, counter-instinctual commitment is to do what it takes to not come to this table until we have been made right as a unified family together. And so in the passing of the peace, wounds are healed, they are named, and relationships are mended, and forgiveness is asked. And this too is a form of worship. That's why it's in the liturgy. It's a form of worship to take seriously that freely I have been forgiven, and freely I can forgive. And of course, that's deep heart work, right? That's not something we do kind of like Uh, just mindlessly. Forgiveness is to deal with the deep pain of our story. It's not something we do lightly. It's not something we do without the deep work of processing through how Jesus is actually healing us so that we can actually forgive. But it's part of what leads us to this table. So later in the gathering, we're going to practice passing the peace, and we'll say those simple and profound words, the peace of Christ be with you and also with you. But hopefully we'll say them with a depth recognizing what is behind those words. And so between now and then, uh, and as we sing this next song, I want to ask you to consider what it might look like to respond to God's challenging call of repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation at the deep levels where uh, we find in our story something that is not right that can be healed at this table as we also offer that healing to others. Consider that as we sing together. i
Jesus, each week we gather called to worship by you, coming to church not because we chose to, but because we were called to. We lay down our busy schedules and we come and we worship and we join in community and we sit under a living and active word. We practice your way. We confess how often we fall away from that way. But we confess too that we are forgiven and loved. And then forgiven and loved, we pass that peace to our friends, our brothers, our sisters. Thank you for this great liturgy that leads us into the fullness of your life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We're gonna pause here for a moment, and as we typically do around this part, we're gonna share some things happening in the life of our community. So I'll let David and Deanna take a seat, and Andy's gonna share with us some stuff going on. Well, good morning. It's great to be here all together this morning. Uh, There is a lot going on in the life of the parish, Um, so we're gonna walk through some of those, but if this is your first time here, or if you're new to this community, we say welcome. Uh, We say peace to you, but thank you for being here with us. There is uh, what we call our connect card that's underneath your seat, Um, and if you would like to uh, know more about this group that gathers, uh, we would love for you to fill that out and put it in uh, the basket back on the outside table so that we can connect with you, perhaps grab a meal or a cup of coffee and just get to know you a little bit as well. Um, If you were here last week, one of the things uh, that we want to do in this Advent season is serve the community in which we gather. And so if you don't know, the Kalen Center uh, is actually, during the week, a space that that cultivates foster care. And so uh, what we as a church are doing is we're partnering with them. And in this season, uh, seeking to bless some of the the boys and girls who are part of the Kalen Center. And so last week we had tags in the back where uh, members of our community could take those and uh, give gifts and give an abundance of gifts this year to the kids who are in this program. And so if you took one of those, next Sunday is when we're bringing back those gifts. Uh, We ask that you wrap those and you place that tag on the gift uh, and bring it back next Sunday. If you're not here next Sunday, it doesn't mean that you can't give it. And so we ask you to coordinate with Morgan. Perhaps you could bring it midweek or we can bring it uh, after that, but coordinate with Morgan today about that. But thank you for doing that and thank you for being a part of blessing the Kalen Center. But over the next three weeks, as a community, there is a lot going on. So we're going to walk through just a few things happening in the life of the parish over these next weeks. Uh, And the first is that next Sunday, Sunday the 12th, there's going to be a high school get-together. So directly after the service, uh, the high school, they're not boys and girls anymore, are they? So the high school, what would you say? People. People. The high school people, guys, girls. The high schoolers are going to the Ott's house. If you don't know the Ott's, raise your hand real quick. Uh, they're going to your house, and, um, and they're going to be emailing logistics out to the families this week. So look for that email if you have high school students. But it's not just the high school students that get in on the action. Um, the Lightcaps are going to be hosting a special uh, December 16th middle school gathering at their house. 
And so uh, they're going to be having a gingerbread house decorating a fun competition, pizza, gingerbread houses. Just a great time for our middle schoolers to get together. So that's Thursday the 16th. It's going to be at 530 uh, at the Lightcap House. And then a special Sunday we have coming up, Sunday, December 19th is going to be our Nativity Family Sunday. And so if you haven't been here for this before, uh, it gets a little wild in here, but beautifully wild. As we think about kind of the mess of what that first nativity could have looked like, we try to emulate some of that mess here in the middle of our service, where we have kids coming in, helping us tell the Christmas story. They have a beautiful part of it that Sarah is going to uh, be leading our parish kids through. Um, and it's one of our favorite traditions, so we, we'd love for you to be here. There's just one service that day, so we're just going to be here at 10 o'clock a.m. on Sunday, December 19th. So please come and, and be ready for a beautiful uh, gathering as a full parish family. And then lastly, this is a first for the parish community. We're having a Christmas Eve service. And so Friday, December 24th, we're going to have a candlelit Christmas Eve gathering. And so we're going to be here at 530 on Christmas Eve. We're going to orient ourselves a little bit differently as, as we look uh, to the Christ child being born. And we're going to use the Anglican tradition of the nine lessons and carols to celebrate uh, Christ's arrival and what it means for us what it draws us into and calls us out of. And so uh, make a plan to be here. It'll be a special event, and perhaps even invite uh, some family and some friends to come with you for that special service. So with that, we're going to move into our time, are we? Yeah. Of three good minutes. Uh, and so see a friend, say hi, and share if you've gotten your Christmas tree yet. And uh, as we continue in our gathering, we're going to have a scripture reading, and Mr. Andy Goddard is going to come forward and read from us. Uh, so Andy, if I can have you come up. Beautiful. And he's going to read from us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we continue our gathering this morning. First Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in the remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andy. All right. So at last, we, God's people, uh, have assembled in Jesus' name, we stand forgiven before God and reconciled to one another, and we have become a bride made ready to come to a wedding feast, to come to the marriage supper. And it's not a surprise that our American holiday of Thanksgiving gathers around eating and drinking, uh, perhaps taking some liturgical cues, because this is called the Eucharist, which means the great Thanksgiving, right? So we come here and we participate in the greatest of feasts, the greatest of thanksgivings, uh, where we feed on Christ by faith. We celebrate it every week here at the parish, 
and I can't imagine anymore being a part of a church community that didn't celebrate it every week because this really is the centerpiece, right? And I don't mean that in any way other than to say, like, wow, how impoverished we are when we don't feed on Christ every week, every day, right? Like, and so we get to come here at the parish. We don't want to be a program-centric church. We don't want to be a purpose-driven church. We want to be a presence-driven church. And the parish's liturgy, therefore, hopefully, increasingly, week by week, becomes less sermon-centric or experience-centric and more table-centric. Um, it's something we talk about often. And so in the Bible, post-resurrection, Jesus is showing up always around a meal. Like, have you noticed this in Scripture? After his resurrection, Jesus is always wherever the meal is. And I think he's cluing us in on something. He's at the breaking of bread on the Emmaus Road. He's in the catch of fish. He's in the meal on the beach. And it's in that meal that he is recognized and the feast of his new life breaks in. And so uh, Simon Chan says it this way. He says, if in communion we become what we eat then we want to eat of Christ, our sustenance, as often as we can. So what I want to do is spend a few minutes and just talk about what is happening at this table, what it means, and why we do this. And I know for many of us, this will just be a uh, review uh, or perhaps information that uh, helps put some more language around why we do this. And so first and foremost, uh, what happens at this table when we come here is that our lives themselves become like the meal. We come to eat of the meal, and our lives become like the meal. Our lives become chosen. Just like Jesus chooses the bread, our lives become blessed. Just like Jesus blesses the bread, our lives become broken like Jesus breaks the bread. Our lives become given like Jesus gives the bread. And so we're not just consuming this love feast. We're being consumed by it. And, uh, and then we are given by it as a broken love to the world, for the world. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, we're reaching back and reaching forward. So something happens at this table in which our posture literally becomes cruciform in nature. We're reaching in two directions at once. And first and foremost, we're reaching back. We encounter the now and the not yet. And starting with the not yet, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus is calling us to remember something that has happened in the past, and in some way there's actually a remembering of the body, right? The members being put back together of the body, a recollecting of the body as we recollect what happened with Jesus at the Last Supper. And so we say, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Uh, but also, we're looking ahead, and we're anticipating that there will be a great feast, a future where simple things like bread and wine and you and me take on new flesh and rise in some sort of new way. And so what happens here is that we receive an invitation to a future where our lives and relationships and all of creation are restored. And so we say we feed on him in our hearts by faith for what is ahead and with thanksgiving, with Eucharisteo for all that is ahead. Uh, and then we feed on him. That line there, feed on him. And this is where we get really Anglican in our theology here, is that we do not believe that this table is a mere commemorative event. This is not something that we're just doing uh, to commemorate the Last Supper. We're actually believing by faith 
in a mysterious, miraculous way, right, back to mystery and miracle, that we are feeding on the life and body of Jesus. We are feeding on him. We come to this table to believe that we are actually encountering Jesus himself in a meaningful, mysterious, living way. And so we call communion the sacrament of all sacraments. There are many sacraments But communion is the ultimate sacrament because in the others, what we have is an expression of of Jesus' activity showing up in our lives. But here we get Jesus' actual person, Jesus' actual presence in this sacrament. And so here is the incarnate God who takes on flesh in order to dwell among us. And you may be thinking, well, how does that work? Like, how, what, what does that mean? Is this, is this actually, you know, changing into some new form? Is this a metaphor? Is it a symbol? Is it a sign? Is it a sacrament? And my answer would be, yeah. Yeah to all of those things, right? And so it's a spiritual meal, but it is a real meal. That would be the, the classic Anglican theology of this. There is something real. The real presence of Jesus is meeting us here. And at the same time, the middle way of Anglicanism says, we don't have to figure out what that means and how that works. Right? We get to just say it's a glorious mystery. Christ is really present here, and beyond that, we get to leave the details to God. And so this is where our communion liturgy begins. The idea, the confession right off the top that Christ is actually here. And so what we say is the Lord be with you, right? Because Christ is here so he's with us, and he's also with you. And this is called the sursum corda. It means in Latin, hearts lifted, Hearts lifted. We say, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. This is how communion has started going back to the third century. I mean, millions and millions and generations and generations of Christians come to this table beginning with this prayer. And so our hearts are lifted, and just as Jesus comes down in the bread, so the Spirit descends on the bread and the wine, and we are lifted to ascend to the kingdom in some meaningful way, it's like we leave the room, right? Our hearts are lifted with Christ. And then we get to what is traditionally, the next step is called the preface and the sanctus. And we don't do this every single week at the parish. We're gonna do it today when we actually practice this in a few moments. But the preface and sanctus is like a mini version of the gospel. We tell this story that, that God has come in creation and covenant and calling. And we retell the story that Jesus leads us through his death and his resurrection into an eternal song of praise. And so often the liturgy here will sing, holy, 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 alleluia, Lord God almighty. And then we come to the words of institution. And this is the famous part of scripture that Andy let us in. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And so we hear those words, and often we come to that place where it says he took the bread and he broke it. And here we have uh, pre-broken crackers, but in many churches, this is actually the moment where the priest will break the bread, and that's called the fraction. Uh, It's a fraction of the bread, and traditionally the liturgy says, we break this bread to share in the body of Christ, and everyone echoes back. And let's just do this together. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. And so we are separate, and yet we are united in the same way that pieces of wheat are formed into one loaf. And then we come to what's called the epiclesis, and the epiclesis means invocation in Greek, 
and we ask for the Spirit to be sent down. So this is the moment where I typically will turn my backs on you all, and I'll say, now, Lord, in your goodness and mercy and by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you send your Spirit down on these elements so that they may be for us the sacrament of the body and blood of Jesus? And so what's happening here is that just like the Spirit came down at Jesus' baptism and said, you are my beloved child, just like the Spirit came down at Pentecost and brought diverse people together, so we pray that the Spirit will come down on these elements and and that the, the Father will give the Spirit of Jesus to the church. And this is why we echo that same Trinitarian prayer. Is the Father with us? He is. Is Christ among us? He is. Is the Spirit here? The Spirit is. This is our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are God's people. We are redeemed. Now, you notice there's a little change there in the liturgy. Change number three uh, is the Spirit here. And over the last few weeks, we've messed with this liturgy. Uh, and the messing of that liturgy has been both healing and stumbling for our community, right? We took what has traditionally been, uh, is the spirit here, he is, and we changed it for a few weeks to, is the spirit here, she is. Now, we did that scripturally, right? The second verse of the Bible speaks of God in the feminine. The first verse of the Bible speaks of God in the masculine. And so we see that there is this thing happening throughout Scripture uh, where even actually the Father, the character of of the Father, the person of the Father, is often spoken of uh, in feminine terms as well. But particularly through church history, the Holy Spirit has been spoken of in feminine terms. And what's happened is in our male-dominated culture, we have gotten so used to using male-only imagery of God that I think we've actually missed part of the beauty of who this God is. And for many of us, there is deep pain in our story that is healed by the mothering of God, not only the fathering of God. And so we changed it for a few weeks, and to the degree that that change is helpful and healing, I want to encourage you to embrace that. To the degree that that change is limiting or something that you may want to use to legislate against others, let's let that go, right? But the idea here is that Uh, We want to be comforted and stretched and tripped up by the mystery of who God is. Because if the mystery of the bigness of who God is doesn't trip us up from time to time, we've gotten too comfortable with the whole thing. So we started with he is, and then we went to she is, and now we're going to settle on what I actually think is probably the most theologically appropriate category for the spirit, which is that the spirit incorporates and then transcends our categories of gender altogether. And so we will say, is the spirit here the spirit is. And my hope for that is that we can uh, kind of try to wrap our arms around this whole mystery that is beyond our categories. And then we say, this is our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And often we do the sign of the cross here, right? And the sign of the cross, for those who are not from liturgical traditions, is simply our way of embodying the shape of the cross. And so we say, Father, and we touch our foreheads. We say, Son, and we touch our chests. And then we remind ourselves of the Holy, the Holy Spirit, not just any spirit, the Holy Spirit. And if that's something that's meaningful for you, embody your prayer in that way. And if not, that's okay, right? There's no one watching, there's no one legislating. But this has become such a meaningful symbol to me that often when I'm tucking my kids into bed at night, what I do habitually is not words prayers anymore, but just to simply mark their foreheads with the sign of the cross. They don't even know I'm doing it. We are God's people and we are redeemed. And then we get to the mystery of faith. 
This is core, so much so that it was painted on the walls of our old church building. Y'all remember who are old-time parishioners, right? Christ has died, and in this we, we breathe in the mystery of incarnation and crucifixion. Christ is risen, resurrection and ascension. Christ will come again, Pentecost, the Spirit comes down, and parousia, which simply means coming in Greek, that God, Christ will come, his second coming will come at the end of all things, at the eschaton. And so even in the liturgy, we have this like deep cuts of theology happening in here, right? This threefold pattern is an, a, a, a summary statement of the whole of the gospel. And so uh, the living word takes on flesh at incarnation. He dies at crucifixion, but he is risen. The word is living still. He's lifted above his enemies in resurrection and then again at ascension. And then what began at Pentecost will be made eternal at the parousia, the presence or arrival of Christ. And then we will feast in the house of Zion and we will sing with our hearts restored. And finally then, Having done all of this, it's time to eat. And so we say, this is Christ's body given for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. And in some traditions, and later on today, we'll say it, we get to this point and we say, Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. And we all echo back together. Therefore, let us keep the feast. And I love that imagery. Let us keep this feast together. The meal is prepared and so is our heart. And you say yes to the invitation that those who want to come to this table to become more like its king, come. You come forward, you step out of your seat, you walk down this center aisle, you are given that which you fear you have to grasp or that you will not be given. And you get to receive it and you hear those words, this is Christ's body and it is given. This is Christ's blood and it is shed. And so, we're going to celebrate the Eucharist together now. And uh, I'll have the band come back up. And as the band comes back up, what I'm going to ask us to do is just to take 20 seconds or so and prepare our own hearts through a moment of confession, and we'll get ready to pass the peace of Christ to one another with all the depth that that means, as we talked about earlier. Let's prepare our hearts. When we come to this table, we receive Christ and the kingdom of Christ, and we are changed. Prepare yourself to be changed. Christ himself is our peace. Let's rejoice in it. Christ makes peace within us. Let's claim it. Christ makes peace between us. Let's share it. And so, in the spirit of that peace, I'll invite you now to take a moment, greet someone in the room, and say the peace of Christ be with you, and echo back, and also with you. Now, let's draw near in the presence of our Savior. And I'll invite you to join me 
by standing as we say this together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We praise you and we bless you, holy and gracious God, source of life abundant. From before time you made ready the creation. Your spirit moved over the deep and brought all things into being. You made us in your image and you taught us to walk in your ways. But we rebelled against you and wandered far away. And yet, as a mother cares for her children, you would not forget us. Time and again, you called us to live in the fullness of your love. In the mystery of the word made flesh, you have caused now a new light to shine in our hearts. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave, opens to us a way of life. By him, you created all things, and by him, you create all things new. And so, on this day, we join with saints and angels in the chorus of praise that rings through eternity, lifting our voices to bless you, we sing. Jesus took bread and after he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is given for you do this in the remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup and said this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many in my blood for the forgiveness of sins do this as often as you drink it in the remembrance of me And now, Lord, we pray that in your mercy and your goodness, would you send your Holy Spirit down on this simple bread and wine to make for them the sacrament, the body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's say this together. Is the Father with us? Yes. 
Is Christ among us? Yes. Is the Spirit here? Yes. This is our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are God's people. We are redeemed. Therefore, by taking this bread and this cup, we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Let's say this together. Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Amen. You'll be invited to come down this aisle and receive communion. And then I want to encourage you as we close our gathering, the final movement is spirit-prompted response. So as you are led and guided by the Holy Spirit, respond in prayer and worship to God.
may be seated. We're almost done. I want to correct one thing that was said earlier that was my mistake, and I also want to celebrate some things, uh, and then we'll, we'll go down the home stretch of our time together. First of all, we announced that gifts should be wrapped for the toy drive. As it turns out, gifts should be unwrapped for the toy drive. So if you have not already wrapped your gift, do not do so. If you have already wrapped your gift, I will, like a child at Christmas, just unwrap it, uh, which will be great. Uh, so we wanted to make sure we corrected that. Also, want to give a shout out. Uh, Kyle is with us this morning. If you do not know, this is uh, Teresa Wallace, or not Teresa Wallace, I'm sorry. Why am I forgetting your last name? Teresa Martin uh, <laughs> and Kyle uh, Martin as well. Kyle has recently graduated uh, from the, the Marine Corps, the orientation into the Marine Corps, and is with us. And we just want to take a second and celebrate you, and we're glad that you're back. Kyle. Thank you. All right, friends, we have joined in the deep time of the eighth day. And we have left this world, our hearts lifted, sursum corda, to heaven. And we meet with God with us. In all the tensions of this life, we are embodied in the very shape of the cross. And so we come to the cross of Christ. And our worship has not solved our problems but it has centered our problems, which is why we say all our problems we send to the cross of Christ and all our hopes we set on the risen Christ. And then in all of this, we are blessed by the God from whom all blessings flow. And so we have a benediction, which is the blessing and the sending. We're ready to descend from the Mount of Transfiguration, right, the, the heights of heaven, back into the world where we actually give up our lives for the sake of others. And so typically we end with a blessing from the Northumbria community, um, which is a Celtic Christian faith. Uh, we say, the, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you, uh, which is one of my favorite benedictions. But today I want to give us a benediction that Ryan sent me earlier this week, and it's words from Fleming Rutledge, who always uh, comes through at Advent. And I want to ask you to just close your eyes and receive this as the blessing for today. The Lord has come, and he will come. The life of the Christian church is located and lived at the intersection of those two advents. And in the meantime, we stay awake, like the doorkeeper, by watching for signs of his presence in the most unlikely places and the most unlikely people. It will take us by surprise every time, but we will be ready to recognize him when he makes himself known. But remember this also. There is a place where he always, already comes to meet us. He has promised his presence in the sacrament of communion. Here, the doorkeepers receive refreshment for the next watch. So fellow doorkeepers, fellow watchmen, we are Advent people. Together, we receive his very self for this Advent life. We may return to our posts with gladness now, having been fed and upheld by the one who comes Emmanuel shall come to thee. Rejoice. Rejoice. Amen. So having been fed and filled and gathered and remembered and recollected and reconciled and chosen and blessed, we now are broken and we are sent out away to a world that needs this meal. And so let's say this together as we end our time. Would you join me? All our problems we send to the cross of Christ. All our difficulties we send to the cross of Christ. All the devil's works we send to the cross of Christ. 
all our hopes we set on the risen Christ. And we are sent back out. So, friends, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Or as we might say, Eucharisteo. Thanks be to God. Have a great day.